Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is brought to you by Before, an incredible new self-care brand that just launched their first products, a line of purifying toothpastes. I'm obsessive about my teeth and brush them usually three times a day, so I'm super excited to be using Before. It ticks off many boxes of what a good toothpaste should be. Their custom supermint flavor actually tastes really good, and the consistency is silky, and at the same time, it doesn't leak out of the tube, which is a total pet peeve of mine. It's also non-abrasive, so it doesn't destroy your tooth enamel. All the harmful ingredients have been replaced by clean alternatives, and their custom blend of fluoride and dentist-approved ingredients totally promotes optimal mouth health. Before also deeply cares about our planet. Their tubes are made from 100% recyclable plant-based sugarcane and creates 50% less carbon footprint than traditional toothpaste tubes. As you all can tell from the show, I'm a huge fan of good, purposeful design, and let me tell you, the design and color palette of these are beautiful. The tube stands upright on your counter and makes your bathroom look minimal and chic. Visit their website, before.com, and enter the code CRAFT10, C-R-A-F-T-1-0, to receive 10% off your entire purchase. One-time use per customer. I'm a huge fan of what they stand for. You won't be sorry, and your teeth and the planet will thank you. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Adam Lewis is precisely the kind of person you want in your life. A supportive friend, conscious being, creator and entrepreneur, and community builder. He's driven and fired up, while also being wonderfully open and vulnerable, an admirable balance. He was founder of flash-chilled coffee brand Nira before launching hot and cold therapy circuit, The Portal Project. Now, as head of partnerships for Othership, Adam has a big hand in growing the Toronto-based social bathhouse, which is focused on wellness through sauna, ice bath, and breathwork experiences, and helping cultivate its dedicated, fast-growing community. Born in Toronto, he spent his childhood growing up just outside of the city in Thornhill. He comes from two lineages, Jewish on his father's side, Japanese on his mother's side. His father grew up in South Africa during the intensity of the apartheid. His mother's grandparents immigrated to Canada from Japan to plant roots abroad. A wild and free kid, Adam found solace in nature and still does. In his teens, he turned to sports and was captain of the track and field team representing Canada at various high-level competitions. Entrepreneurship was his main study at Dalhousie University, and Mura was his first solo business for a number of years. As Mura wound down, Adam went through a life shakeup and found healing in cold plunging in lakes and building a portable sauna with his own hands. This became the Portal Project, which served as a bridge to connecting with Othership, where he is today. In this conversation, 
we go in all kinds of directions, the lineages of his family and the cultural impact of his Jewish and Japanese roots, his recent experience going through the Hoffman process, how being a top athlete encouraged him to push his body and mind limits and life optimization, the hard transition unwinding Mira and discovering hot and cold therapy, understanding the masculine and feminine energies within us, what he's learned being a part of the Othership team, being loving witnesses to each other's life's journey, and much more. Please enjoy this conversation with my dear friend Adam Lewis, an incredibly deep soul whom I admire, love, learn from constantly, and eternally grateful for. Adam Lewis. We're doing it. We're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the craft. Thank you. It is an honor to be here. I know. I'm very excited. We had a great chat in the car. I was trying to make mental notes of the topics. Yeah, we'll cover a lot, I'm sure. Yeah. How are you feeling? Yeah, feeling good. Feeling, uh, it's funny, the process we just did, responding with good is always this like faux pas. It's this just canned answer that is such a range of emotions. I'd rather feeling really present. Mm, right. Me too. Yeah. We're in a very intimate, we're actually recording in Toronto. We're in a very intimate studio right now. Feels good. Yeah. There's a nice plant beside you. That's right. <laughs> but shall we go back in time? Of course. Okay. Let's let's go back to your childhood. Tell me tell me about what that was like for you. I was a very happy kid. Most of my memories are very, yeah, just like thinking of myself running around, very smiley. Loved being outside, loved being in nature, and for whatever reason, loved being naked. So many memories of me just, like, wanting to run around and pee on trees and, like, be this little wild kid. And um, very fortunate to have, you know, had a lot of time spent out in nature, uh, growing up, going to our family cottage, so being in the lake, being in nature there, and having, you know, the non-urban landscape to have the permission to run around and be as uh exposed as uh, <laughs> as i would have been and yeah those are like the fondest memories of from each childhood is just being outside being in nature mm-hmm. being just this happy beaming little little boy and that's how you describe yourself happy beaming that's the return home i think you know the inner child it's the wise little being that we're all born into this world as and then as we grow up as we go through you know school and just the societal pressure as we get molded into something that's a bit of a departure from that you know pure little ray of light that we all came into being and I know that true self that inner child in me is something of of exactly that it's smiling beaming little ray of sunshine (laughs) well I can attest to that you're like that as an adult thank you (laughs) Um, tell me, so you come from two lineages and I would love to explore it. So tell me about your dad and your mom as people. Yeah, both, both Leos. So astrologically, uh, a handful with, uh, each hand I've got to balance. Um, both of, yeah, you know, very different ethnicities. So my dad immigrated from South Africa to Canada in 1977. So, um, his whole family, was raised there, uh, born there, and of a Jewish German descent. So I've actually got a German passport through 
um, a repatriation of Jews that had to leave Germany during the war. Um, two generations down, we're able to get the citizenship. Mm. And yeah, he came here in 77 and uh, through his own adventures, which we can dive into. So there's father's side, Jewish, German, South African. And then my mom's side, uh, so she's third generation Japanese Canadian. So she was born here in Scarborough, but her parents were born out in BC. And then it was my great grandparents who immigrated from Japan at like, you know, early 1900s um, from Japan to BC to start a new life here. And then I get to be the divine intersection of these two, uh, these two lineages. Mm. And were, did you feel that both cultures were equally practiced when you were growing up? Not really. It's funny because I don't know any different. You know, we all come in and we just have our, like, our normals, our own normal. But for me, it was like the Jewish practice was probably the most prevalent in terms of, you know, did the whole like bris bar mitzvah, went to synagogue every Friday and like was quote unquote like a practicing Jew. But um, yeah, like that was just a big part of my identity and went to Hebrew school and I never felt super connected to to it as a religion, like religion in general was something I never felt particularly um, strongly connected to. But then most of my Jewish family were still in South Africa. Like I have Orthodox cousins that are like very observantly practicing and would love, you know, going and seeing them every year. I had the privilege of my dad taking us to South Africa pretty much on an annual basis to go and spend time with family for him to show us where he came from, which I've come to learn is a real privilege. And then on my mom's side, my Japanese grandparents, they also lived, you know, here in Toronto. So spent a lot of time with them. They babysat me and growing up, like I just had a lot of time spent with them. So there was this imprinting of that Japanese culture, but not necessarily the practices that would come with it. We ate a lot of Japanese food. So I think food and food is almost a part of Japanese culture, just the appreciation, the, the reverence for it. Oh, very true. That's yeah. Any sushi lover could appreciate at, a, <laughs> at the top of the funnel, and then it goes deeper. So, yeah. But then, like we were talking about, there's just other parts of cultures that um, I feel like I was just this. There's this homogeneity that I got to be a part of. Of you know, bit of column A, bit of column B. Yeah, and and it's just it, it did evolve and continues to. Mm. Tell me about your dad and what he's like, and then your mom, too. So yeah, both sharing in intensity, and yeah, the, the timing of this question is really interesting, having just, yeah, coming out of this, uh, the Hoffman process, where there was just a lot of dialogue, a lot of unpacking of who are we as a result of being products of our parents, and then unpacking who are our parents. And my father, David, he was, um, yeah, born in South Africa, Johannesburg, in 1957. He had a very interesting upbringing. So as a white South African at that time, um, you're in the apartheid, you're kind of just inherently in this, like, upper class. Like, you have servants and 
you have like just this classist society that is quite distorted quite um i think it distorts one's view on like what does equality mean what does like a healthy society look like and he had three younger siblings so he was actually the oldest of um uh, of four and yeah i think growing up like something i found really interesting is learning about birth order is like what it's like to be an oldest child and then have another child born after you because each child being born after you is attention that your mom and dad would be focused on you is now spent or not spent but you know directed to other siblings and then we start learning about as child as children we really just want love and attention from our mom and dad but when we don't get that that's when like negative love patterns can start emerging like oh what do i need to do to get love from mom and dad so I spent a lot of time unpacking like how birth order might have affected um, and impacted my dad and his upbringing, along with these societal uh, conditions. So he was the eldest. Correct. And I guess, yeah, like, so born and like raised in Johannesburg, which was a very colorful place, um, just geopolitically uh, with the apartheid and with the all the events that, around that. I know he adopted a pretty rebellious um, approach to behaving and operating in that society, often like protesting and being very like, you know, anti-apartheid, which I think is really cool. That rebelliousness in him is something that I admire. That boldness, that you know, courage to stand up against what's what he believes is right, is something I really appreciated about him. And one of the most fascinating and like unique things about him is just how much he's persevered in that. At 16 years old. Um, he was riding a motorcycle to visit a friend and was hit by a drunk driver uh, and lost his leg. So um, hospitalized at the age of 16, lost, uh, you know, had an NDE, so like died, came back and um, from age of 16 onward had to live with, uh, still his knee, but right leg gone and grew up in an athletic, you know, was playing a lot of sports and then being handicapped um, as a teenager and barely you know being able to finish school and I, I can't even fathom what it would be like but to then have life just so monumentally change where that lens of like what can I can I not do um yeah you know it was just changed by being not as physically capable as he ought you know would have been but to have then had the this mentality of I'm not gonna let that define me and not let it get in the way of me living my best life and he finished school and went traveling and just really um i think took that as we hear many people do now when they have these death experiences like oh shit life is short like gotta get after it and he did exactly that and yeah and boldly bravely traveled the world and wound up in canada at a pretty young age um, I think it was 77, so he would have been 20 at that point, where he landed in Canada and tried to start building a life here. Um, I think it was through the travel, he sort of, like, his parents helped sponsor him to, like, travel around and just, like, try to make the most of life. And, um, yeah, then when he wound up in Canada, there was, uh, I guess, an opportunity for a career, or make some money, and started working here, and our family had like a baby product business growing up. So um, that was like his parents 
how they made their money was just living selling baby products i guess he tried to bring bring that business here to canada and in that process actually um kind of brought the whole family over said hey guys canada is this cool place and at this point he's obviously like recovered and um you know on his feet pardon the pun <laughs> um and in bring the family over trying to start the business here it actually ended up tanking and then the family had to go back to camp back to south africa he stayed here but to have devastated you know a family's stability was another wound that he had to recover from and that fueled his hustle to restabilize and recreate a life for not just him but and his family so um a lot of tenacity yeah yeah that's a lot of responsibility to shoulder it's like unfathomable. I can't like even imagine. So reflecting, it's like, like we were talking about in the car. It's just, yeah, we've had pretty comfy upbringings. And like to fathom like what I would consider like two catastrophes like that um, would no doubt build character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And built him to be the strong and bold and tenacious individual that he uh, is. So yeah, that's uh, that's my dad. <laughs> um, and then mom, she's yeah, like an amazing, amazing human. She uh, born in Scarborough, little uh, suburb outside of here in Toronto, and uh, to yeah, to do uh, my grandma and grandpa, both Japanese, um, born as well. And yeah, she just lived in Scarborough, humble upbringing. Nothing quite as colorful as that, but being the child of um, you know, Japanese Canadians, I think there was just some trauma passed down too that was to be reconciled through her upbringing. Just doing these exercises this past week, I'm thinking about how much, like you're talking about, like just fitting in. You know, there probably was, and what type of pattern does that translate into of maybe some compromise, maybe some self-abandonment of like doing what needs to be done to not be shunned from society. Yeah, the othering. The othering. Exactly. So she grew up in, yeah, I don't think it was quite as like, again, animated a a story as my father's, but a story that still evolved into being quite fascinating and for her to become the incredible woman that she's become. And yeah, I feel like uh, her story is also still, still unfolding Mm -hmm. day by day. Mm -hmm. She has a beautiful farm. Right. That you're often at. Yes. Merkaba. 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 Right. Yeah. It's so beautiful there from what I can see. Yeah, it's heaven on earth. She's very connected to the earth. Yeah, and that's one of the greatest gifts that I feel like I've inherited from both my parents, actually, um, is a re- appreciation or reverence for the natural world. You know, from my father, the privilege of getting to go to South Africa and beyond game reserves and being in these animals, natural landscapes, like the most awe-inspiring moments of my childhood was being in nature. And then through my mom, you know, with really like being so connected to natural healing and nature from such an early age, it's just been my reverence and appreciation for it has been imbued as nature as medicine Nature is home. Nature is something that we can just always trust and rely on as a source of truth. Yeah, I really have both my parents to thank for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And when you were in high school, you were also quite athletic. So you have this drive too within you. Yeah. You were track and field. Mm-hmm. You were a captain. Mm-hmm. And you were competitive. You were you were um you were competing at that level. Yeah. Yeah. It was the track career really took off in university. Um just played a lot of sports in high school and yeah, very competitive, very that tenacity. Uh, definitely got passed down and that drive, which, you know, I've now learned maybe didn't necessarily come from the healthiest of places, you know, succeed, be worthy, be valued, be loved, <laughs> the stories, um, but immensely formative and like so grateful for what um, athletics did for me as a channel for, you know, energy that's always flowed through me, a way to learn about the self. And for me, track and field was, um, and still is probably the most, uh, it taught me the most about how I, how I can learn to like improve in the world in a sport that comes down to hundreds of seconds, right? Where like, so super competitive, hate losing. So I'll do anything I can to eke out any hundredth or 10th of a second out of a training session or a competition. And that was really what sort of the rudder of how do I navigate improvement in sport and then in life where okay start learning about nutraceuticals and lifestyle stuff and things that we can do to optimize from training so I tried every diet whether it was like keto paleo vegetarian like I just experimented a ton and then got into like lifestyle optimization so learning that okay as an athlete to adapt you want more testosterone and less cortisol to repair your muscles like okay well how can i reduce cortisol and it's like okay well optimize your sleep so start wearing like blue light blockers over a decade ago and before they were all fancy and cool <laughs> like i was just like wearing orange hunting glasses and even um i'd say this was probably what the first real introduction to meditation for me was where testosterone and cortisol have an inverse relationship so i thought how can i reduce cortisol and all this research about meditation was coming out and that's when I started meditating a lot before bed not out of like oh it's like yeah it was not out of a spiritual (laughs) angle I didn't know that it came from sport yeah exactly but that was just the right motivator that it ended up inspiring that as a practice yeah so it still lasts (laughs) why why were you is that why you were drawn to running because of that small millisecond that you could you know, beat someone. I'm just curious why you didn't pick another sport, why it ended up being track and field. So I was playing rugby actually and soccer. Like those were probably my two most significant um, sports. And then rugby was like, and I was like, oh, it's really fast. So I just knew I'd be good at it. But my rugby team folded when I was in grade 12. So we didn't have a team. So I was like, I have to channel this somewhere. Like, well, I, I'd always wanted to do track just to see how I'd measure up to other athletes because I was always fast relative to the other rugby players. But then am I fast compared to the other people that also think they're fast? And then it's just only my last year of high school that I got onto the track, competed, and like won a bunch of races. And I was like, oh shit, like actually relatively to those that think they're relatively fast. And then I was going to Dalhousie the next year for university. I called the coach. I was like, hey man, I'm kicking some butt out here um (laughs) there's room on your team i'd love to come out and what's cool too it's like your numbers are your numbers 
there's no like oh, I had a bad tryout or you know I had a bad game. It's like do you cross the finish line in down to this hundredth of a second or not? And that's you know what you are on paper is what you are. Right. It's more final in a way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then it's also very measurable, and that's what I loved mm. about it. Is is this training working? Yes or no? So like, are we adapting or are we not? And that's yeah. Again, I learned a lot about like the physical body and how it how it, it's very metaphorical in that with training, you know, we need to adapt. So it's this like strain, 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 and then your body will adapt and then you'll run faster. So it's this progressive overload concept, this uh, theory of adaptation where we strain our bodies. So it's like run, run, run until your time starts slowing down because of the fatigue. And then the body's natural resilience process, that adaptation will make the body actually adapt to this strain so that the new baseline of speed is actually higher. Just like in life where we subject ourselves to more stress, more strain, more conditions mm. that challenge us. And we don't break from them, but we'll actually um, improve from them. We'll actually evolve and become more capable as humans. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, that's so interesting. You know, I, I think of all the sound therapy clients that come in to see me and their baseline of stress is so high um, that they don't even know it until they realize that they're not connected to any of their emotions. They can't talk about how they're really, really feeling. And I often tell them, like, your baseline for stress is is way higher than it, it needs to be, and you've completely dissociated from that. So, yeah, we, we create these, like, new baselines all the time. That's right, and it's cool. We have, like, technologies now, like, through bands and Oura rings that, you know, give us a measure of our HRV, our heart rate variability, which, you know, can be a good indicator of, stress, stress management, or ability to adapt from sympathetic to parasympathetic state in a healthy manner. So it'd be really cool to see if there's uh, ways to measure sound healing actually on uh, people's HRV if those mm. haven't already been done. Yeah, I'm sure it has, but it'd, it'd be something interesting for me to look into. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the suggestion. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Can you post it? <laughs> I'm curious. Tell me, okay, so... Um, athlete but also had a head for entrepreneurship because that's what you ended up doing in school yeah it's i think they're pretty synonymous uh, character traits where you know that there's a drive and ambition and then i think some of the entrepreneurship came from not wanting to you know pursue the mundane or just the road less pat less traveled and again, unpacking some like stuff from last week was maybe part of my proclivity for entrepreneurship was that if I did the conventional path, then I'd be held to the same expectations, the same ladder of career, you know, grinding that everybody else is on. So if someone else made VP or associate before me, then I'd be, you know, my self-esteem would be uh, fractured. So if I'm just on my own path, then I absolve myself of that competition. Um, I don't know, like that's a hypothesis, but it could very well be true. Um, but whatever the cocktail was of, you know, drivers behind entrepreneurship, it was strong, it was alive, it was, still is. It's um, it's what made me work and then to a point be like, well, majored in entrepreneurship and during my business degree, which I learned was the most ironic thing because mm -hmm. you don't teach you that shit out of a textbook. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, then eventually did like graduate, worked for a little bit, but knew that I wanted to do something. And that's when I started Mira, the, the coffee company, which, uh, which I was running when we met. Yeah. And yeah, it was again, like a, a channel where like that tenacity for, you know, in training as an athlete to improve my times, to, you know, optimize performance, to like tinker with the lifestyle and find these different levers and, you know, tactics and tools to apply to improve performance quite similar to a business where you're an operator in a business and it's, you know, what coaches and mentors, you know, can help steer you in the right way. What tools and tactics can I apply to help, you know, move the needle, which instead of, you know, the, you know, the times on the scoreboard became just like the balance sheet and the income statement. Um, but it is, yeah, it's very uh, analogous in that respect. Mm. So it's just a natural transition, I think, from the individual athlete to the entrepreneur. Mm. Yes, because I think you were already like a couple years in to Mira when I met you. Yeah. A couple years ago. Yeah. And I feel like at that time you were you were still trying to figure things out, but I could also sense that you were looking for that transition too out of you were trying to decide where is this this going. Um, what did that feel like for you as someone who spent so many years grinding to create something and then you come to this place where you're like, do I keep doing this or am I pivoting now? Hmm. It's, it's the hero's journey. It really has been the whole time for me that it was, you know, Mir was born out of, you know, ambition and excitement and passion um, for coffee and for entrepreneurship. And then, yeah, I remember when we met, I was, those notions of, is this my life's path? Is this what I really want to do? Those were, those calls to adventure existed. And I think the universe always whispers to us, if we listen, if we slow down, if we quiet things, those whispers, they're always going to, they're always going to be there. And for me, those whispers were quite loud and being, I guess, stubborn or being just who I was, um, didn't listen to them because, you know, when you sink in like all your money and family's money and like the whole entirety of the production line and you have a business going you can't just jump ship but i think those whispers were nudges from the universe saying hey dude this isn't your path you might want to start thinking about what is and that wasn't you know out of wanting to quit due to hardship but i think it was just falling out of alignment with um, what got me here isn't what's going to get me there in terms of my personal spiritual and human development so the time when we met was i think it was yeah like during covid and there was a pivot in the business that had happened and it's like after all this you know it's is this really what i still want to be doing which you know and eventually like i kept pushing and pushing until it kind of felt like it didn't it wasn't my choice um at a point when uh when things all came crashing down that the call to adventure the hey man this isn't your path you can stop now um start unwinding it that would have been the like why do that but then the universe let me know a little while later like you weren't listening man and the whole uh the carpet gets pulled out from under and yeah into the innermost cave we go mm-hmm. which is what you did that's right yeah. Tell me how you, 
Tell me how you found hot and cold therapy. It was a part of that journey. Um, as Mira was starting to lose its, um, like I stopped drinking coffee. The irony of running a coffee business and not even, you know, drinking coffee was pretty funny. But as I was like, I was just like going through the motions. Um, I remember I was listening to like a podcast and heard about Wim Hof. And so I got into breath work and it's like, this is really cool. I didn't really know what to do with it. But like I was every now and then like doing some breath work and finding myself like just going on YouTube, going on. It's just it's this crazy natural high I was getting. It was so cool. And then obviously hearing about how, you know, this guy was like doing breath work, then like jumping in cold water, jumping in to like snow. I was like, this is crazy. But that kind of like that biohacker in me, that guy that like athlete that loved the tinkering, it's like, okay, this is really sick. Like I can modulate my physiology through my breath in a way that allows me to be subject to extreme conditions that I would normally, normally not be able to. So I was really, really curious about diving deeper in that doing this breath going out into the cold and i just found like again this natural high that i was getting from that and it was really in not long after you and i met like that's probably when i started actually getting into breath and in that winter when i started incorporating the breath and then like jumping in the lake and just finding this like insane rush from it and this insane just like Obviously, like, there's the neurochemicals, the dopamine, the noradrenaline, these, like, amazing health benefits, too, that you get from it. But it just felt like something, like, a return home. Like, I felt so connected to being in the cold water in the middle of the winter for some reason. And then it wasn't, it was later after that winter and later in that year that, um, you know, I was in a relationship and I was also still working on Mira and I was living in Tremblant, working all remotely that the business just came to a point where it might work if we like raise a bit more money and I had some investors that were willing to contribute and like pivot again and then really go for it. Or, you know, maybe not, maybe this is that those whispers I heard the year before, uh, maybe it's time to pack it in. So the pivot was moving to like this cool functional instant coffee line that you know, I was like working on, we had formulated. And then in like what just felt like one fell swoop, um, my girlfriend broke up with me and I was like heartbroken. I thought like she's the one, like she's going to have my kids. Like this is so cool. I'm living in Tromblon in the mountains. I thought I was, had it all made. Um, and that just devastated me. And like at that time too, I was like trying to navigate this pivot with Mira of moving from our like COVID pivot into this new product line. And then I just like, I was just debilitatingly depressed and I couldn't get out of bed and I was like I can't run this business I don't even want to and I was having a crisis and at that point um, decided to pull shoot on the business and start winding it down which is a terrible process any entrepreneurs listening to this that um, have either had to do that or are thinking about it like that was it fucking sucks something you put all your heart soul your money family's money into and that you have to admit defeat call it a failure and having that just come collapsing um it's kind of not so elegant deconstruction was uh part of that journey to the innermost cave part of the greatest wounds i'd ever acquainted with where 
I thought I was in love and that I had that figured out. Thought I was running this cool business and that I was putting my heart into. No. And then moving home, you know, some family stuff came up from, uh, you know, divorce trauma. Okay, moving back to Ontario. Which parent are you going to move back in with? Pick mom or pick dad. And all this shit came up. So all these pillars of stability in my life just came fucking crashing down all at once. And that was the dark night of the soul that um, the only thing I remember that I could look forward to was getting into cold water. Mm. There was something about it that was able to bring me peace and bring me, you know, a sense of presence and that there's something to look forward to. So it was like September when all of this was happening. And so October, November, the water starts to get cold again. I can start getting in the cold water and that's like my sanctuary. And then, you know, thanks to some amazing plant medicine experiences that really gave me some deep healing and perspective. And then finding the cold water and then bringing friends to the cold water was where, okay, there's, there's life to be lived again. And then realizing that like healing in the cold for myself and bringing others into the experience, that was the ultimate, um, the ultimate gateway drug. And then, yeah. And then you started building, actually building something with your hands. It was the portal project. That's right. That's the hot component. Um, great, uh, yeah, memory. Because that was the hot component, and that was one of like the downloads. That sort of the big healing components that came out of the plant medicine journey was. I was asking, just like, how did I fucking get here? Like, I was a pretty confident, happy, like, thought I was at least, um, you know, guy just trying to figure it out in this world. And what was the common thread, like me? across these failures and just something in that medicine experience told me like Adam there's just a deep wounding of your who you are as a man uh, your masculinity is there's something fractured here that needs some healing and I just remember getting that message so loud and you know coming out of the ceremony it's like nice to know what the wound is but then I'm like what well, what do I do with that and, you know, getting into men's work and, like, learning a lot more about um, just sacred masculine energy was, and still is, you know, a beautiful part of my life. But one of these just driving factors that came out of that was, okay, like, apparently I have to heal my masculinity. So says Mother Ayahuasca. So what does that mean? And, well, what do we do as men? Like, we build, we use our hands, we create containers. And that's when this idea of creating a container was really really landing and it's like okay well i want to do something i love so i'm going to build a sauna because i just always loved saunas as well so i'm going to be able to build this sauna that i can take uh i'll put on a built it on a trailer so i can take my friends to do hot and cold therapy because i just knew like i started doing like ice tubs and when i was training at track and sauna as well as like training and recovery modalities but yeah it's funny like it decade later reacquainting with them in totally different context but yeah having built that sauna that barrel sauna on a trailer with my hands was one of the most healing things that I could have done just to show myself oh you can do things you can build stuff and it doesn't have to be this huge company it can just be you know something made of wood and something beautiful about the simplicity of that 
Um, that you can share with others. Exactly. And build community, which you know is important to you. Exactly. Exactly. And so it was through like power of nature, the building of being in the freezing cold and being in the hot and sharing and that with others that um, that I was able to find my way back onto a path that uh, probably the one that I was supposed to be on mm-hmm. to begin with. Mm. I'm just thinking too about hot and cold and you were talking about masculine and feminine energies and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Like hot, masculine, cold, feminine and like being present. Um, yeah. And just balancing those two and, and having that balance within um, helps you feel good. It's necessary. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the feminine, maybe not from the cold as resonant as just as the water, mm. you know, the, the flowing, the unpredictability, the turbulence, the power that water represents. And then yeah, the hot, the yang, the fire, um, beautiful polarities that that are necessary to have balanced within us and when we can balance them within us we can i think also find ways to see balance in the rest of the world that we want to embark into Mm. i feel that that in more recent years people are starting to realize that we have both energies within us and that they're not mutually exclusive and i'm i don't know this question just came to mind why why do you think there has been a separation between I'm just a masculine person versus I am just a feminine person. But now people are having that understanding of, oh, we have both flowing through us and that is good and fine and how it should be. These are like pretty sacred concepts that they're not novel. They are novel to us societally, but historically, like look at the yin yang symbol. That's a representation of um, pretty much every culture has historically known of these balances of, what they call them is it masculine feminine is it yin yang of these but these sacred polarities as energies i think of it as like there's this energy of god that exists above us and then that can be dissected mm. into two halves we have the feminine and the masculine and then within each one lies bits of each or gods and goddesses actually that's a lot of cultural fol- folklore as well exactly and these archetypes of gods and goddesses are um they rep- they represent different energies so these concepts are actually, it's to me, I see more of a, of a return where there's been a very interesting departure from any Gnostic belief systems, like religion, um, just people that, if you think of our parents' generation, religion was really common. Like most people had a religion that they would adhere to. And there's been a very sharp departure from that, from for our generation, maybe it's the advent of technology where you can like empirically say like there's no God dude in the sky, heaven and hell, like those aren't provable. So this agnostic, this atheistic sort of pendulum swing has happened, but there's still that part of us that yearns for spiritual connection that we want to find out like what is, what are we more connected to? And I think that's where more people have found their way back to spirituality, I think the circles we run around into that have that greater affinity for you know, spiritual nature um, are realizing that, oh yeah, a lot of these practices do recognize masculine energy as a thing. Feminine energy is a thing. We are channels of these energies and we need to honor them and nurture them as such. Mm. How do you nurture yours? 
definitely um just as a man i find my masculine like comes through a lot in the way that i just show up with a lot of consistency direction maybe the masculine represents sort of like order and stability direction and movement and those are things that i'll like show up in business and life and in work and like with friends as someone that just takes action so just by embodying that and letting those be sort of qualities of how i show up prioritizing safety for others so i think what the masculine serves to do is create safety create protection through order order not being like direction it's like toxic masculinity is like do it this way exactly (laughs) but the healthy version is like let me provide you know a container for you to feel safe to do what you need to do and the you being the feminine which is to fill it <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. and for me it's like getting in touch with my emotions is like probably the greatest way that i can connect with my femininity being able to think of the things that make me sad and things that hurt and not shy away from them but let those emotions move through me and animate me in a way that maybe i'll feel sad maybe i'll fucking cry and like be okay with that just knowing that i'm honoring that part of me mm. love you know like to feel love and to feel intimacy it's like the closeness to other people that masculine energy is often in a toxic way. It's like, ah, guards are up. I can't let someone close to me. Can't let someone see you. Exactly. So by having that vulnerability, the strength to be that vulnerable, to let one be seen. And to me, I see the intimacy mm. of being seen is actually, I think, one of the most probably beautiful ways of actually demonstrating a balance of those. Mm. Yeah, I feel like in the time that I've known you, I've seen that that evolution within you. There seems to be, um, yeah, there's a greater peace and serenity about your aura. Not that you weren't, that you didn't have elements of that when I first met you, but you were definitely in drive mode, like driving forward mode. Yeah. As much as possible. Yeah. And it still exists. It's that's just part of my yang, and it's part of again. It's like probably a quality that doesn't come from a healthy place, but it served me. So I'm really trying to understand now. It's how do we take these qualities and balance them out with the ones that balance out that masculine with the feminine? Can we? Can it soften? Can we have compassion for it? Can I have compassion for it? Because even if it's not born out of a healthy place, it served me and. We have to love all the parts of ourself. Mm. I certainly need to. The self-compassion journey is a, <laughs> a good one for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you've taken some of that drive and now you're at Othership where you're helping run um, and make all the partnerships. So heading up partnerships over there. Um, yeah. And it seemed to be a very natural way that you found yourself doing, joining that team. Yeah, it was a very natural uh, evolution from that little portal project of you know, me running my own little workshops in my eight-person barrel sauna by the lake to, <laughs> hey, I'm doing this hot and cold thing. You guys are doing it too. Like, I don't need to, like, this was a little project and to find a very aligned team and mission uh, felt and still feels like so, like such a privilege. The team of founders are, like, some of my best friends now and the greatest privilege of working there is Yes, we're you know, teaching people to 
regulate their emotions and their nervous systems using the powers of breath and hot and cold. But what I'm most passionate about, what I'm most devoted to is the community that we've built is now we have hundreds of people that are all very loyal, loyal and loyal to themselves. Like people that show up to do the work, like that's, that's, those are my people that want to learn more about themselves. That'll ask those tough questions. How did I get here? How do I heal this? Why am I the way that I am? How can I show up better as a friend, as a brother, as a parent, as a leader? People that want to help make the world a better place. Mm. Yeah, there's something, um, I mean, when, so I went there for the first time on yesterday, Monday, was it? Two days ago. And didn't, I sort of, I sort of knew what to expect, but also was really open to what was going to sort of come forward in the experience. And um, both the hot and cold were so meditative for me. Like being in that hot sauna, I had my eyes closed the entire time. And I just felt this, even though it was getting really hot and I was really, really sweating, um, I felt really, really in tune with myself. And um, how cold were the ice baths? Because I, I didn't know if I was going to last two minutes. And I think I'm fairly good with cold plunging. Um, but yeah, that, that to me, getting to that first 30 seconds, I thought, part. oh my gosh, am I going to make it? Like, I, it's pretty resilient, but this is damn cold. Yeah, we keep them at like zero to three degrees. Okay, I told my friend, I'm like, I think it was zero. Because cold it gets. And yeah, I mean, that's the benefits do come. Like, sub seven degrees is where you get most of the, the health benefits. So the beauty of the contrast, it's like any of these practices too, it's like they're not new. Like think of how many cultural practices use hot heat. Mm-hmm. So, Finnish sauna. Japanese onsens. Japanese onsens, you know, Russian sweat, banya. Sweat lodges. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's something about subjecting these physical vessels to the heat that helps. It's like loosen up any, you know, tension energetically and physically yeah. that maybe makes us a bit more it softens the ego that protection mechanism like i think the brain gets so occupied with holy fuck i'm hot oh my god and because my guards are down all these other emotions can come pouring in <laughs> and then the cold is like oh shit well, like what can i do with those and well usually it's good to try and practice some resiliency or some presence and i don't think anything does that better than as you probably experienced yesterday, sitting in the cold and using your breath to regulate that oh shit factor to oh yeah oh I'm okay. Like I was breathing heavy. Like I was like. <sighs> and you've done some cold I've, practice in the ocean, right? I've done cold practice in the ocean. I always turn my shower super cold for at least thirty seconds to a minute when I'm showering. But this was unlike anything else. But there's probably that contrast in my body temperature too, right? Where I was super hot in the sauna. And then now I'm going super, super cold. Um, but I mean, I made it. My two cycles, I made it to to two minutes. And well, that feels really good. Yeah. And like that's that feeling afterwards, right? And I think it's so cool how the hot and cold represents like the alchemy of, you know, heat, cold, and like reforging into something to gold, like mm-hmm. the lead into gold process mm. of alchemy. Yeah. As... It makes you feel alive. That's, you know, I I felt really, really alive after those uh, that session. Um, 
And I mean, yeah, you feel alive because your body feels alive, but I also mean like I spiritually felt alive. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people report that. I certainly uh, resonate like that connection to the divine, perhaps due to the surrendering of the ego from subjecting the physical body to the extremes of the heat, extremes of the cold. And it's like the normal structure of the ego that keeps us the sense of self as it is. It's like, oh, it becomes irrelevant. And that allows just like that connection to the divine to just pour in and like, oh, there's, there's something really good here. Mm. I have a question about what you've learned from a business perspective, being a part of what is uh, a startup wellness company and, and fast growing movement. Um, yeah. What have you learned in leaps and bounds being a part of this team? Oh my goodness. So much. It's like been transformative. Um, there's, I mean, passion, like as like the primary driver and being a lot more relentless. Um, so important. So passion for the product, passion for the mission where I so, so deeply believe in what we're doing and that having healed so much of myself through hot and cold and seeing so many people do it every day. I know that this is something that makes the world better. Teach more people to regulate their nervous systems through these practices, through the hot, through the cold, through the breath. This is how we make change. And the relentlessness is like, of course, I'm going to tell everybody I know about this and not just my friends, the odd person. We'll go for coffee later and I'll say, have you been to other ship? Have you tried hot and cold? Not because I'm trying to sell them something, but because like I know that this is something that'll benefit them. And really the power of just network effects of word of mouth. So what's been interesting too is sort of becoming this like, okay, we've like become this leader in health and wellness. So a lot of people asking like, well, what's working? And I think it does come to that doubling down on product where a lot of people like build a product that like, I think this will sell and hit the market and then like, oh, maybe I got to run Facebook ads and oh shit, maybe uh, I should try some influencers and, and then it'll work. And actually it's double down on your product, talk to your customers, make it better, talk to them some more. What's working, what's not working that we can improve on. Mm-hmm. What are we doing great that we can lean into? We tinker and refine the product every day. So it's never, it's an evolving product because customer feedback as an entrepreneur, like you're always going to like think you have a hypothesis of what people want, but then yeah, that has to be tested against the real world. And then it's taking that feedback and incorporating it into the product is how you get to you know, the elusive product market fit mm. of where it is what people want. And then naturally people are going to start talking about it because they had such a good time. It's so cool. Then they're going to talk about it to their friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that you guys have um, more structured offerings, but then you had the you also have these free flow offerings. So it really just helps for people who are like structured versus people who kind of want to do their own thing. Exactly. It's indulgent to go in and like, it's like going to a Barry's class or a soul cycle class with a professionally trained sauna guide where you're led through, you know, a loving kindness meditation and some breath work and some stretching and ways to release these emotions in the sauna from the heat because like we were just talking about, there's something about being in that heat that just helps bring that out of you. And then to have that you know, like validated or like underscored with like the power of the cold and done with like a high energy, professionally trained 
aromatherapist, you know, waving towels. Sound. Someone was playing bowls while I was in there. That's... Sort of helped me get through it. Yeah, well, it does because, as you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that'll it help. Be- it was beautiful too. Activate yeah. the parasympathetic, mm-hmm. and that's what I do love about the free flows. Where it's sometimes I want to just like sit in the cold and have someone play a singing bowl around me, and like that's plenty of structure. That's. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually a pretty ideal way to start your day, if you ask me. <laughs> How long have you lasted in the in the ice bath? I did like a hero one, not in an ice bath, but in the lake uh, mm. for 16 minutes. What? And it was just not like, this was like wow. before I was even, because like pretty early on in my journey with it, when I was like, really, like do the Wim Hof, do the cold. And then just like, that was an ego thing. Like, let's mm. see, I'd be like placement and uh, it took me like literally a day to warm up and uh don't intend on ever trying that again and what was crazy though is like i could have stayed in longer like my body but it's just like because my hands and feet from like being outside were were i think like, i felt like i was gonna get frostbite or yeah. uh something was gonna fall off yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't want that happening no but it was just like using that power of the breath and the intention of the mind um one of the techniques that wim hof teaches is through the breath and then through like visualizing in your mind's eye like heat or fire or something hot being in your hands and using that power of the conscious mind to actually help regulate the physical body oh i um, love that you yeah. have a visual yeah so reinforcing and um sort of underscoring that power of the mind mm-hmm. body connection mm. i often imagine that i'm going somewhere you know I've just it's a it's usually just a space and it looks bright and white and then i just like to be there so that's the visualization that i usually have when i'm doing something like that and then it ends up feeling beautiful and i end up feeling very connected to all things and all people wow Mm -hmm. and is that like a state that you've learned from other sort of non-ordinary consciousness Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in sound or in psychedelics yeah i feel like Maybe I always innately went to a place like that. Um, But I do think that after I did my 5-MeO-DMT ceremony, that it was just heightened and that I could get that to that place quicker with whatever I was doing, which is kind of a blessing. (laughs) And you just feel connected much more quickly. Wow. Yeah. That's my stomach, everyone. (laughs) We'll turn that down in the edits. (laughs) Wow. These the, mics are good. Yeah. It's the gut saying, yeah, that time we hung out with God on the 5-MEO trip. Yeah. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, exactly. That's really, I mean, that to me is one of the coolest things about psychedelics is when they, it paints a very clear picture of something that maybe thought might exist, but it's like, oh, that's what that looks like mm-hmm. and feels and like. It feels like. I can return to, I know what to return to because of that familiarity. Mm. It's not as esoteric or as, you know, unknown of a concept it's oh i've been there before so i know what to search or what to feel into because mm-hmm. you've done quite a few ceremonies now mostly with ayahuasca right yeah 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 what's um i guess in more recent times what's one of the most profound things that has been um, unveiled to you um the most biggest message i got from the last one so i think it was 11th or 12th sitting and she said like adam 
these ceremonies, this like sitting with me, it's you're chasing God. It's like chasing a connection. Like, cause that was kind of the intent. Like, okay, I go to the ceremony, I drink the medicine and then I get to, you know, have this connection to the divine. I get these cool downloads and transmissions of like, you know, how things are and how I ought to be and who I am. And then I get to write them down and like have this like cool code that I can operate off of and how to show up. And there's like something really cool about receiving this divine instruction or like epiphanies that I just really got a lot of healing from and got a lot of cool insight from. And then during the last one, there's just this clear, like, she's like, comes like, why are you here? Like you're chasing, you know, this like divine instruction that I don't have any more to give you. Hmm. Wow. She's like, you've done a lot of good work, but you know, you don't need to come back for a third cup um, because the really like strong message was like the next path to God is through intimacy. And that's been a sort of challenge that I've had is like closeness to other people, but it's like do the challenge that we also find our, our light. Mm. So since then it's like exploring intimacy has been a very um, powerful and yeah, enlightening path. With all people in your life? With all people. Mm-hmm. So there's romantic, there's platonic, there's familial. Mm. But just this concept of how close can we be to other people? How much of you can I let you see? And how much of, um, yeah, how much of you can I see? Mm. We can only see others as deeply as we've seen ourselves, right? So um, it's been a really beautiful path. That's really, I find that's really interesting because I feel that ever since I've known you that, um, that I've been able to see a lot, but maybe that wasn't the truth. I mean, maybe it was, maybe, I mean, I, I like to think I've like been like on this path for quite a while. So like getting to know myself and my higher self has been something that I've maybe evolved, you know, since before we that but mm-hmm. the exciting thing is you know like it's just such there's so much more right yeah there's always more to learn about even you like how much you've evolved in your journey and how much you probably know about yourself since you know since we met i think it's why our friendship is like so fun because it's like every conversation's like may 3.0 <laughs> may 4.0 what's next <laughs> We're each other's like hype people. Yeah. Like, yes, I see you. You've done so great. Totally. Like incredible <laughs> companions on each other's journeys, which, yeah. you know, to see you grow mm. has been like such an inspiration. I remember conversations hearing, I think I'm going to start a podcast. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you are. Yeah, you're going to start a podcast. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. getting into sound healing too. Like, yeah, sound healing is awesome. And then I did it. <laughs> and then you did it. And yeah. so like, and to me, like, kind of like the intimacy that we share, it's like, I can observe that. I can see the effort you put in, but I can also see no need for me to feel like I take any responsibility in that and trying mm. to be in that masculine of the fixer. Like, Hey, may you should talk to that person or Hey, like do this thing of just being able to witness you mm. and being a, the loving witness to your journey is um, to me something that intimacy is how I partially define intimacy. 
Oh, I appreciate that so much because in a world where everyone has advice to give, it's nice to just feel like you are being witnessed and celebrated with no strings attached, just pure joy for the human that you are and are, you know, um, continuing to um, remember. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And so it's, and I, and I feel the same. It's, you know, we can kind of like high five each other on other dimensions. <laughs> like we're both just cruising on. We'll jump on a FaceTime, catch up. You're like, that's what's going on on your end. Yeah. What's happening here? And it's, um, you can send that, you send that good energy through whatever that the field is, the energy field that connects all things. And, and, uh, yeah, I deeply, I deeply feel that, that support. So thank you. Oh, thank what you. a random meeting we had too. And it ended up turning into a beautiful friendship. I know. And random, I, I think synchronicities mm. are, um, they're those, yeah, just little nods from the universe, like. You're doing the right thing. You're in the right place. <laughs> exactly. Like, keep doing whatever you're doing. and You've met soul family. Exactly. And I think it's so funny how our, like, how our paths have, like, intertwined. Like, if we didn't meet then, like, pretty, maybe we would have hurt each other, but our, you know, our mutual connections that have woven in and out. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's nice to, uh, nice to honor them. I know. I know. It really is. Um. Speaking of honoring, how do you feel you want to honor both your lineages these days? Mm. No, honor is a really um, prevalent concept in Japanese tradition and something that I really want to do is like take care of my parents more and like honor what they've passed down to me through my through my actions and you know, actions being make sure that they feel safe and that they're looked after as they grow old, but also to look after the legacy that they're passing on. This concept of legacy has been really fascinating and for the hardships that they went through and that their parents went through um, to shape the character of, you know, their good qualities, their bad qualities, but all the lessons that they passed on to me. If I'm the tip of the spear you know, that's been sharpened through their difficulties. That spear isn't to be laid down on the ground. That arrow isn't to be laid down on the ground, but it's to be shot boldly and bravely towards a noble target. Mm-hmm. And metaphorically speaking, to have an aim in my life that isn't small, but to do something great, do something big and have an impact um, would be the greatest way to honor them. Mm-hmm. What's something that you want to do for the rest of this year that honors yourself? Mm. Slow down. At least pause. Pause more. It's been a lot of action, a lot of movement, and, you know, the cliches of stopping and smelling the roses are very true. And I've definitely... uh, in sprint mode for a while sprinting out of my pain sprinting into building a cool community sprinting from a to z and having a lot of beauty along the way but seeing beauty is really important to me experiencing it and creating it and i think that can be best done when we're at moments of 
slow tenderness. Mm. And the final question that I ask everyone, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? I'd hope to leave um, hopefully some awesome kids. (laughs) (laughs) But inspiration, um, leading and leading by example is something that I really appreciate and to lead others to leave to lead inspired lives to honor their pasts and to look at the way that they can embark into this world with opportunity with optimism that they can do great things to love and to really love like connecting to our hearts and lead with our hearts loving fiercely is the compass we use to embark on whatever our unique adventures are I love that. You are love, Adam Lewis. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, taking your time with me, holding space for me always and others. I appreciate you more than than you know, and I love you. Thank you, May. It's uh, it's an honor. It's privilege. And yeah, I really appreciate you and love Mm -hmm. you very much as well. I'm so glad we got to do this in Toronto. So exciting. If people want to connect with you, where can they connect with you? Um, I'm Adam Lewis five on Instagram. You can find me on LinkedIn. Not going to give it my number in public. (laughs) It's already hit the public too much. Um, Yeah. Those would be the best places. You can come find me at other ship. I'm spending a lot of time there too. So yeah. In the sauna. Everyone, meet him in the sauna. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, May. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jay Bagaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon. <laughs>